verses 1 to 7. Bel is bound down, Nebo stoops over. Their images are consigned to the beasts and the cattle. The things that you carry are burdensome, a load for the weary beast. They stooped over, they have bowed down together. They could not rescue the burden, but have themselves gone into captivity. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, you who have been born of me, born by me from birth, and have been carried from the womb. Even to your old age I shall be the same, and even to your graying years I shall bear you. I have done it, and I shall carry you, and I shall bear you, and I shall deliver you. To whom would you liken me, and make me equal, and compare me, that we should be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse, and weigh silver on the scale, hire a goldsmith, and he makes it into a god. They bow down, indeed they worship it. They lift it upon the shoulder and carry it. They set it in its place and it stands there. It does not move from its place. Though one may cry to it, it cannot answer. It cannot deliver him from his distress. Fascinating. Bel and Nebo were two of the gods of that era, Babylonian gods. And what do you see happening with uh, the images of Bel and Nebo here? Yes, exactly. And the poor animals that are having to carry these images as the gods are being carted out into, into exile as they're fleeing from, from their enemies. What, what's happening to the poor animals? Yes, exactly. These images are heavy. And they're, they're weighted down. They're weary from having to carry these images out of Babylon. What do you think about that? It's kind of sad, kind of pathetic, don't you think? You know? These, uh, these gods, Bel and Nebo, were unable to rescue their own images. They go under captivity. You know, a lot of good these gods do. They serve to weight you down. They're just a liability. That's idolatry. Don't tell me it, it, it's going to help you. It's going to be a benefit to you in the long run to serve anybody other than the Lord. In the long run, you'll end up having to carry your gods around. Dixon. It's, to me, there's also a point being made in the fact that they're bent over, they're stooped over. They can't stay upright. It makes me think of Dagon, who kept falling over, you know, the Philistine sky. They can't stay, you know, in this situation. They're fleeing, but they're, they're not upright. They're not in the manner in which you would expect the gods to be. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, it's a mess when, you're, when your god, you know, caves in. Bring it. And see, Pastor Scripture. I mean, obviously we shouldn't compare the Ark of the Covenant to the United Idol, but I mean, what happened when the Ark of the Covenant fell to the enemy's hand? God defended himself. Yeah, absolutely. He clearly didn't need any human intervention to rescue him.
God shows the gods up in their very areas of expertise. He a lot of times uh, punishes Baal worshippers with drought, even though Baal was the storm god. Yeah. I think the more important that you value, these people value their gods, the more, the more they wanted to you know, carry it around. Because earlier in this passage, um, you have this idea that them carrying it around. But then now, now you kind of switch it around because you realize, oh, these guys are really powerful. And, you know, you carry it. Oh, you carry it. Oh, we'll, we'll get a cow or a beast to carry it. You know, it's around. No one wants to deal with it because they know that it's powerless. It's wonderful. Good point. Yeah. Mike? You can see a real contrast between these guys and the real true God in that they can even save themselves, but back in the history of these followers, that the true Lord, he led them and he rescued them in the wilderness and away from Egypt. And you can see that that is part of his true character. Absolutely. And, and speaking of that contrast, look at three and four. What is the point that God is making about himself in three and four? He doesn't change. What else? He stays with them. Yes. He carries them. He carries them. You know, look at that contrast. You've been born by me from birth. Have been carried from the womb. You know, I will bear you. I will carry you. I will bear you. I will deliver you. About five different times in two verses, he says, "I carry you." When it's idols, they carry their gods. When it's the true God, he carries his people. That's quite a difference. False religion is based upon our own works, our own effort, our own, you know, ingenuity and understanding. True religion is based upon grace. God carries and delivers us. We don't have to give our God a hand. That, that's just an amazing contrast. God says, you know, I carried you from birth, and I'll bear you until you're old. All the way through. Alright, comments and questions? On three and four. He, who, who are you going to compare God to? In, in five? And he talks about, you know, the idol manufacturing process. Once again, the gold, the silver, weigh it out, get a goldsmith, make a god, bow down. says, indeed, they worship it. The word indeed there, the end of verse 6 is a strong word. It's almost equivalent to saying, did you have? You know, they bow down, indeed, they worship it, of all things. They, they lift it up on the shoulder and carry it. They set it in its place and it stands there. It doesn't move. Well, you open it. Gravity can pull it down if it's going to move. So he, the idea would be it just stays right there. Uh, doesn't help anybody. It's not going to answer you when you cry to it. It's not going to deliver you when you're in distress. Every other thing we worship will not deliver us and we'll have to carry it. Comments and questions? The idea of, you know, if Isaiah was posting his predictions, the whole thing would be a fraud. The idea of doing a fraud would be for for your own personal gain. And I think it's clear that Isaiah wasn't getting, you know, it's about the other gods. I mean, it it seems like the New Testament, there was a lot of industry and things like that. 
I don't really know, but you'd think there would be. Somebody had to make those images. Roger? You made a point about how um, the animals were weighed, weighed down by all these idols, and you made the point that we sometimes are weighed down by, uh, by our own idolatry. And you can see that in our lives sometimes when we're so focused on possessions or, or pleasures that that makes it a lot more difficult for us to serve the true God, and that just makes us more difficult to serve God because we have our focus is on that and we can't focus on God the way we have to focus. It just makes our life more difficult even if we aren't focused on God. People are weighed down tremendously by all these things that they're giving their lives to and they're worshiping. You know, if you're worshiping the almighty dollar or you're worshiping, you know, education or, or whatever you're worshiping, that becomes a burden to you and it does weigh you down. And, uh, and that's absolutely the way that is, whether you try to worship God at the same time or not. Good point. Other comments? 8 to 13. Remember this, and be assured, we call it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying, My purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Calling the bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country, truly I have spoken, truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it, I will surely do it. Listen to me, you stubborn minded, who are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness, it is not far off. My salvation will not delay, and I will grant salvation to the desire, and my glory for Israel. Alright, really coming back to the same points, the uniqueness of God, as proven by the fact that God can declare the end from the beginning. That he, his purpose is established, verse 10, he accomplishes all his good pleasure. When God makes a prediction, He's revealing his plan. He's telling you what he's going to do. And he does it. For example, he calls a bird of prey from the east. And what is the bird of prey he calls from the east? Cyrus. The man of my purpose from a far country. Truly I have spoken. Truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it. Surely I will do it. That's a great summary of this whole section. God plans it. He executes it. That's that. He called Cyrus. Cyrus is going to do what he said he was going to do. What God said he was going to do. And so he tells the stubborn minded who are far from righteousness. That he's going to bring his righteousness and his salvation for his people. These stubborn people need to submit to God and receive the righteousness and salvation He provides. Comments or questions? Alan? I, I kind of thought about this in verse 11. The word break in peace. Do you think that, I guess, from a certain context, in reference to Nebuchadnezzar taking over Jerusalem, do you think that could be Nebuchadnezzar, or do you think maybe in this context it could be more likely to be Cyrus? Oh, Cyrus. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've certainly got now linked up a whole set of passages 
dealing specifically with Cyrus. He's named him, but it's not the first time he's mentioned him coming from the east. Back in 41.2, which I think was the first specific reference to Cyrus, it says he aroused him from the east, and he called him in righteousness. And, uh, you know, a number of times he'll say that he fulfills his purpose and so forth. So I think it's consistent that we've got Cyrus throughout this. That, that's going to shift. We're coming toward the end of the section that focuses a lot on Cyrus and the physical deliverance. And are about to come into a section where the emphasis is going to be much more on the spiritual deliverance through the ultimate Messiah, Jesus Christ. John. I like quote 13. He brings his righteousness near and brings it close to us, but the thing that separates us from his righteousness is in verse 12, our stubborn heart. Yes, indeed. Other comments? Morgan. In 8 and 9, he's just wanting everyone to understand what they're doing and that he is a God and no one else is a God and whatever they may. And I read a scripture back in a couple weeks ago in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. <coughs> Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me and do the God of peace shall be with you. Other thoughts? 47, 